So uh, I don't know how much if you know this or not, but before um, I went to seminary and started the process of being ordained in the Methodist Church, I did youth ministry for almost 10 years. And the youth ministry world is pretty small, and in it you start to hear names of other people, and you meet people who say, hey, you should meet this guy, or you should meet that lady, I think y'all would be friends. And when it's like a 13 or 14 year old telling you that, it's always weird, right? And so, um, but there were all these teenagers that I knew that would say, hey, I was at this thing, and this guy Tim Palmer was there, you should meet him sometime, do you know him? I think you guys would be friends, and I never met Tim, and then, uh, we moved to Abilene, Texas after seminary, and um, I found out that this guy, Tim Palmer, worked at McMurray University uh, as one of the chaplains there. And so I went over to meet him and catch up with another guy that I'd known for a while. And Tim and I went and had coffee for about three hours one day and just kind of started getting to know each other and a relationship built, and we partnered in ministry and some things. And um, I am really, really excited that he's here this morning. You already got to sing with him lead us into some worship but um, uh, and he's got stuff at the back table t-shirts and CDs and that sort of stuff so go check all that out when this is over but um, just kind of take a moment and a deep breath because you're about to experience a lot of energy and um, you're about to experience the presence of God speaking to you through this song that's really kind My wife Erin is with me and two of our three kids, um, Eliza, who will be nine in August, and then Courtney Boo Boo, who uh, will be, uh, well, he's four and a half, and you can tell, uh, because he's just a ball of energy. Um, we have a daughter who will be 12 on Tuesday, uh, so we leave from here on Monday and take the long haul back to Allen, uh, and uh, we'll celebrate uh, her birthday. Um, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the word. Does that sound good? Yeah. God, we love you, but not nearly as much as you love us, and for that love is so grateful. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. It's in the name of God, our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer that we pray. And all God's children in this room say, it's always weird and awkward to play double duty. I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to lead worship as well as um, preach the message. I'm a creative person, and any kind of creative output that I can that I can lend to a community is always something that I'm excited to do. But I realize that 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 the that the road that I'm walking is a narrow one because you're like, dude, this guy's you know you you might be already done with my voice by now. Right, because we already sang together, and you may not be um, into listening. But uh, Ross, whenever he invited me to come and preach in the series, the church that I dream of, he asked it in the question: uh, "What is the church that you dream about? What is the church that you dream of?" And I'm naturally a question asker. All right, 
just always my whole life I've asked questions I've never really settled with because I said so, which is something that my dad said all the time and that I swore I would never say as a dad until I had, uh, I didn't have until Aaron had uh, Aubrey and, and at age three she had asked us why about 7,000 times. And I finally broke because I said so. <laughs> I had to call my dad and apologize for not being an insufficient answer to all of my questions. But I've always been a questioner. In fact, whenever I was in ninth grade, I was in Ms. Reinhardt's biology class. And a couple of weeks after school started, we had meet the teacher night where my parents would come up and meet all of my teachers uh, and whatnot. And my mom walks up to Ms. Reinhardt, who had also had my sister, I remember that between the last two um, services, and Ms. Reiner grabs my mom's hand and says, oh, you're Tim's mom. I have to take a value before he comes to class <laughs> because he asks so many questions, which may have been a compliment. I don't know. I didn't know what value was at the time, but it didn't seem like a great thing that she had to take medicine to deal with me and my mom is an educator. So she said, that's easy, it's an easy fix. Give him three index cards, put them on his desk every day when he comes to your class. And then every time he asks a question, you take one of those index cards away and he has three questions. When he has no more index cards, he has no more questions for you. Uh, and, and so to this day, I still don't know the difference between meiosis and mitosis. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's because the question asking capacity was limited in ninth grade. Biology questions for me lead to more questions. Questions are the shovels that we use to dig down to deeper truth. And, and the image that I have in my mind is every time I ask a new question, I lift up a rock and a whole bunch of little questions just like scatter out and so Ross said what is the church you dream of and so I started thinking about an answer to that question and it led me to another question because you see a year ago I started teaching middle school theater which means that every day I teach sixth seventh and eighth graders how to be dramatic which is not a hard gig all right but I, uh, I started teaching theater, and so I started asking the question in a new way, because in church, like the church world wasn't something that, I, I mean, we went to church, but it wasn't my frame of reference. Being a teacher was my frame of reference, and I set set up, so I began to ask, what do I dream for for my students? What kind of students do I want them to be? What kind of adults do I want them to be? And so I began thinking, I dream of students who uh, are whole. Students whose lives are affected by incarceration and addiction. I want them to be whole human beings, right? I want them to be comfortable in their own skin, that as my brother Mark Waters says, who's a professor at McMurray, that the party wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. So I want them to be who they are, like proud and loud, and I want to encourage them to find their voice, right? I had these dreams for my students, and I have these same dreams for my kids. And then I begin to ask uh, another question, like, what kind of world do I dream of? It's like the Russian nesting dolls of, of questions, right? What kind of world do I dream about for my kids? Do I always want the threat of war looming over their heads? Or do I want, as the psalmist writes, for them to experience peace in their days? 
Do I want them to live in a community, in a country, in a world that's fractured by ideology? Or do I want them to somehow figure out ways to build bridges instead of walls toward one another, right? This is the reality, the world that I dream about for my kids. And then I started asking another question. Well, does God dream? Does God have a church that God dreams about? Does God have a dream for all of creation? And so I started looking in Scripture, and I jumped to the back of the book, right, and looked in Revelation 22, where we see this image, this dream realized of a city. And in the center of the city is this throne, two thrones, for God and for the Lamb, for Jesus, and from those thrones runs a river through the center of the city. And on both sides of the river, there's this tree of life, right? And, and, and John writes that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of all nations. And so that's the dream realized, right? That's like if God has a dream, then we would expect to find what that dream looks like in reality towards the end of the biblical witness. And so I began to ask the question, is it makes sense to me that the tree, that this huge tree that's going to bring healing to all people, right? The curse is gone. Like everything, every cloud is lifted that is not healthy and life-giving and it's nourished by the presence, by this flow from the gospel, from the, from the throne of God, right? But how did the tree get there? That's another question that I started to ask. Who planted the tree? Was Jesus on like some kind of like Johnny Appleseed like journey and just like put the tree of the healing tree like that? You know, is it a redemption of the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, where we see the tree of life that was like open to us whenever we first like woke up to this world? Like, who planted the tree? And then that threw me back to Isaiah chapter two, which is the text I want us to focus on today. Because in Isaiah chapter 2, we begin to visualize the dream that God has for all of creation. So I'll get to Ross's question in a minute about what my dream for the church is. But I want it to be couched within this question of what is God's dream for all of creation. And in Isaiah 2, we see a couple of things. Number one, it will come to pass in the latter days... That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And will be lifted above the hills. And all nations, how many nations? All nations will flow to it. And many people shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. So that we might learn the ways of God. So if God has a dream for all of creation. Think that it has to include the word together. Because we see this vision that God has, this dream that God has for all of creation of people from all different walks of life, all different ideologies, different cultures, different belief systems, different proclivities, whatever it is, like moving toward the same center that created them all, right? These People are moving back toward love, the source of, of how they came to be. And so the dream that God has for all of creation and my dream for the church is that we would be defined by our togetherness. 
right? I don't know if you've ever seen an Amish community build a barn. You should go on YouTube and check them out. There's a whole bunch, a whole bunch of like barn building time lapses. And everything stands still in the community except for this one goal, to build a barn for whoever it is church I dream of and the world that God dreams of has to include unity and vision while welcoming diversity in the community. Togetherness. The dream of God is marked by it. The second thing I see in this dream vision that we see in Isaiah 2 and what are they going to do, like, to learn the ways of God, right? And so then Isaiah, the poet, prophet, writes this, and he will judge. God will judge between the nations and shall settle disputes for many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. The old course of study doesn't cut it in the light of what God wants to do. These people are not only defined by their togetherness, this vision isn't only defined by this word together, but it's also defined by the idea of humility, that people are coming to learn something that they don't know. And the what it is that they are learning in this vision, this dream that God has for all of creation, is to take the crude accoutrements of war and destruction and submit them to the refining fire of God's love so that they might turn into and beat them into instruments of cultivation and peace, right, and growth. AR-15s to spades, if you need a clear picture. <clears throat> so the dream that God has for all of creation is togetherness. The dream that God has for all of creation is less destruction, more creation. But I heard one time that dreams don't work unless you do. Dream, come on. Yeah, preach it. <laughs> Hello, now we're having church. I like it. <laughs> dreams don't work unless you do. My parents were missionaries, and we had a friend. Her name was... Aunt Francis or Aunt Francis, I don't know how y'all say that in New Mexico, if it's Aunt or Aunt, in Texas it's Aunt, Aunt, whoever. So all of the missionaries were family, that's kind of how like you see things whenever you're a missionary kid. Aunt Francis it is old now, she's like probably close to 90, she was old when, we, when I was a kid and now like even more so, that's the way things work, I don't know if y'all know that, like, like it just happens like that. And Aunt Francis has petitioned the government and is growing a coalition of Christian people and people of other faiths in any walk of life to come and establish a department of peace. She says we have a department of war because war takes strategy, war takes planning, war takes intentionality. Well, shouldn't peace take the same thing? And so she's literally this old missionary lady who survived the bombing of, of Lebanon and Iraq and like all these, like 
places in the Middle East, like she's come back to the stage, moved to California, and she's writing letters to her senators saying, hey, we should establish a Department of Peace because it takes just as much intentionality and work to create that vision of the future as it does to create and prepare for this version. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all write petitions, but I don't think that that's a bad way to affect change, but what I am suggesting is this, that if the dream of God is ever going to be realized in creation, and if the dream of God for the church is ever going to be realized in creation, it's going to take work, right? Who is the one beating the swords into plowshares? Who is the one bending the, the, the spears into pruning hooks? We are. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. It is a collective co-conspiracy with God to shape and create and realize this dream. Until we wake up to it, it's just going to remain a dream. My brother was a quintessential sleepwalker and sleep talker. Growing up, we shared a room. He's five years younger than me. And when I was in middle school, I had the top bunk and he had the bottom bunk. And this one night in my memory just like has like seared itself because it scared me a little bit. I got up in bed and all of a sudden this like little golem hand just like grabbed a hold of like my bunk bed and he pulls himself up. And he sticks his arm out toward me and he says, put it in the basket. I look around like I have no idea like what he wants, and so I say, dude, you don't have a basket, to which he replies more forcefully, put it in the basket. You don't have a basket, to which he retorts, put it in the basket, right? And so I look around and I just grab hair and go like that and say, there you go, and he goes, thank you, and falls back asleep. Now, how many of us know that there's a way of living that looks like you're awake, but you're really just sleeping and dreaming? Paul says to the church in, in Rome, the time is now to wake up and stop dreaming. Hosier, who's a great poet songwriter, he has a song called Nina Cried Power, and he has this refrain. It's not the waking, it's the rising, right? The dream doesn't work unless we do. So we can't just dream about the church we want to live in. we got to get there. we got to live it out. You see, I think that for the church, we are an image of things to come. We are an echo of what God wants to do in all of creation. So if we're not doing it together, then ain't nobody going to do it together, right? If we're not doing the difficult work of creating peace, then nobody's going to do the difficult work of creating peace. The dream doesn't work unless we do. And we can't just keep walking around sleep-talking and sleepwalking, looking like we have it all together. we got to wake up and then we got to get up. And do the work. So what does it look like? A church that's leaning into and living into the dream that God has for all of creation. To rebuild and restore and renew what's been lost and devastated for generations. What does it look like for a church that's embracing the kinship of all humanity? Remembering that we belong to one another. Instead of erecting barriers and walls between ourselves and people that are not like us. What does that church look like? 
And one of the reasons why I love Ross is because whenever he was just a lowly youth minister in the mission in Carlsbad, New Mexico, he started a thing called Mission Carlsbad. My understanding of the origins, and, and I don't know if Ross has talked to you about it at all, is that they were going on a mission trip or coming back from somewhere, and he saw all these people from different communities who were putting roofs on houses in Carlsbad and, and fixing ramps for people who were like kind of like locked in their houses uh, and putting floors in. Uh, and, and he looked at his youth and, and he said, why are we not doing this? Jesus says, love our neighbor and we want to like live into that dream. And so he started something called Mission Carlsbad. Well, I had the opportunity to Mission Carlsbad in this particular year where all of these youth from around Carlsbad would get up at 6 a.m. and re-roof the houses of their neighbors who couldn't afford new roofs, who had put in new floors uh, with people who were in wheelchairs and couldn't get into their kitchen because their wheelchair wheels would get caught in holes in their floors, or who would put wheelchair ramps out from different people's homes. Like, like I got the chance to go and be out there. And so, so we were preaching about the kingdom of God is like a party. Jesus talks about partying a lot, so the church key's not far off. In terms of names for bottles. And this girl named Caitlin comes up to me and she's like, hey, we're working out at Miss Terry's house and we're building her a ramp and we want you to come on Friday at 5 o'clock because we're going to have a party for her once the ramp is done. And what you need to know about Miss Terry is for four years she had been confined to her own home. Her dream for her day was to be able to go out and get the mail. The only time she left her house in four years was whenever someone would come and pick her up and take her to the doctor's office. And maybe they could go and get a meal. So these kids all week were building her this ramp. So Friday rolls around, I want to be fashionably late, so I pull up at 5.02. <laughs> and if you don't know anything about Carlsbad, it's like not like this. It's just, get my drip. It's dirt color. Whatever the color of dirt is, like, should be called Carlsbad because that's what it is. And if you're from Carlsbad, I love you. You're a great person, but it is dusty. And even somebody from West Texas can see it. It's got to be dusty, all right? It's dusty. And I pull up, Roscoe, but I pull up to this little mobile home on the outskirts of town surrounded by dust and tumbleweed and little specks of grass like craning their neck up for some drop of rain, right? And in the middle of it is this beautiful, pristine, white ramp. These kids have built all week for this day. And they took red crepe paper and wrapped it around the, the, handle, the, the handle that you would use to go down the ramp. And at the end of it, they put this little red finish line. And they got red balloons, and, and they were like all just like waving in the breeze. And I was like, this is a party. So I pulled up, and Kate comes down. She goes, OK, we're going to all line up at the bottom of the ramp. And whenever Miss Terry comes out on her porch, we're going to say, Terry, Terry, Terry. And she's going to come down. She's going to break through the finish line. Give her a balloon. We're going to let her hold on to it and say, for all the years you've been locked up in your own house, what does Wendy represent? You let it go. Whenever you feel that opportunity. What Miss Terry didn't know and what I didn't know is that they had some extra time. And so they built this little flower bed in the middle of the ramp at like 9 a.m. And they'd gone to the store and bought red 
carnations and clans. And this beautiful red and green and white just stood in such stark contrast to all the gray and the brown that I saw around it. And so Peyton went up to the house and she knocks on the door. Miss Terry comes out and she's in her wheelchair and before she even gets to the room, goes down the ramp and we start in Terry, 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 right? And she goes to where she's about to turn and come down that last part of the ramp and she sees the flowers and her hands go up in the air and she says, thank you, Lord, for these things that you sent me. Miss Terry wasn't just experiencing freedom from her house, she was experiencing healing. Kind of like we see in Revelation, Where God's 